0: verse eleven. If you're not used to looking at a Bible, that's on page 22 in the few Bibles provided. A little eleven is verse eleven, and we're going to be looking at a chapter, verse eleven through verse 25 today. Our subject is all in the timing. See, I don't know about all of you, but patience is not my superpower. Okay, I don't know if any of you have ever been impatient. Uh, yesterday, Colleen and I went to the rodeo last night. And uh, we were, went to the carnival, and I, you know, I, we spent, uh, we rode two rides, okay, this is our, our carnival experience, we went to the carnival because we were at the rodeo, I, we went two rides at a funnel cake, and that was, okay, we went to the carnival, let's go home. Uh, but most of that was me, because uh, I said it's Saturday night, and they're going to take an hour away from me, right, but last night, I am encouraged to see as many of you that are here here on a spring break with the uh, with an hour taken away last night. I imagine that just about the time we get wrapped up, there'll be some people walking in here and uh, admitting this, the hour time change. But, so I was ready to go, and we got in line, or we stood by the line for the fairground. And I looked, and Carole said, is this the line for the fairground? I said, I sure hope not. And it wraps and twists and twists and twists and twists. And I said, I don't think that I want to go on the Ferris wheel this badly. Hmm. And we looked around, and on the far side of the carnival, there was another smaller Ferris wheel. And I said, do you want to walk over there? <laughs> and of course we did. We walked over there. There was no line there. We got there. We got on the Ferris wheel. Because so that was one of our rides. The other ride was the spinny thing. And, uh, <clears throat> you should have seen, there was a group of uh, little girls there, like 10 hooping and hollering and everything else, and Colleen was grappling. <laughs> Tell me we're awfully close to the edge. She said, it'd be alright. You know, I don't think we're flying off today. So, I walked from one side of the carnival to the other. Because I did not want to wait. When we got out of the rodeo concert part of it, we walked over to the shopping thing and a cowboy hat cowgirl hat. She needed a cowgirl hat, um, I can assure you. And if you haven't seen any pictures of it, then I've got a couple. For you. And we walked across there, uh, across to the shopping center there, and I saw the line to the bathroom. And I said, this is not going to work. And so I walked across that section, past all the shops, then past where they keep the animals, and past all the way to go and find somewhere where I wouldn't have to wait in line. I don't know if anybody else feels like this, I would rather drive an hour and a half on Beltway 8 than an hour on 45, because I do not want to stop and park on the highway. I hate waiting. I know that uh, nobody else struggles with this, I know the rest of you would all just patiently sit there on 45, roll down your window and pray for the people around you and all these different things, but I cannot stand waiting. And you know, sometimes this causes all kinds of trouble. Sometimes we want to do the right thing, but we don't want to do it at the right time. If I, uh, well, the, the church I mentioned, Fellowship, before Chittenden was there, they had another pastor who now pastors in Deer Park. He's got a very successful church there. Uh, but in Pasadena, he I I would say contributed to some of their problems that they had. How is it that somebody who's successful in Deer Park was not successful in Pasadena? Well, he knew the right things to do to reach the neighborhood that he was in. He knew things were changing. He knew they needed to set up a Celebrate Recovery. They needed to do different things to have an outreach to some of the struggling people in this new kind of neighborhood. But his patience with the people who were in his church, who were used to doing things a certain way, was nonexistent. existent he said, it's my way or the highway. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And so he decided he was going to rush a lot of major changes in about a six-month period. And the people ran him off. And after they ran him off, they wouldn't so much as change a light bulb. Because they said, no, you're acting just like he did see if you can do the right things and if you do them at the wrong time or in the wrong order you are going to have a problem on your hands if I take a cake and I put an egg or if I put an egg and some flour and some salt and some sugar and some butter in a pan in the oven <clears> it, and then pull it all out and crack the egg and mix it all up after it's been baked for 30 minutes I will not have a cake He said, but I did all the right things, but I will not have a cake because I didn't do it in the right order at the right time. Today, we're going to look at a little event in the life of Moses. Moses, who was rescued from death by Pharaoh's daughter, who was raised up, and is now a 40-year-old man. He's a (coughs) 40-year-old man who has been taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He has lived in the lap of luxury. Verse chapter 2, verse 11 says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So now Moses, a 40-year-old man, says, you know, I'm a Hebrew. I've been living in the palace since I was three years old. I really want to see what life is like for my family. I really want to see what life is like for all the other Hebrews.'" And so Moses loads up, goes out, and he decides he's going to watch. Maybe he disguises himself, I don't know. He goes and he looks, and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew. Moses gets very angry. Verse 12 He looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he (coughs) slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses see somebody being beaten. Uh, in fact, the Hebrew is kind of ambiguous. It's, he looks this way and that way, maybe when you first read it, to see if there's somebody else to help. But ultimately, of course, what's he really looking for? He's looking for witnesses. He looks this way and that way. He doesn't see there's anybody, so he goes up and he kills the Egyptian, speaking of the Hebrew. And he hides his body in the sand. Now, I have no experience as a murderer. But I think that I could figure out that hiding a body in the sand is not going to be a long-term solution. I've been to the beach, seen the dunes move, again. you're not going to hide something in the sand for very long. This is free, okay? A quick little metaphor for your life. The sin that you think that you have hidden is going to be found out, I right? You think, nobody's going to know, you know, I buried it, it's done, I did what I needed to do in the heat of the moment, now I've covered it up in the sand. Somebody saw you. <laughs> the sand is not going to hide that body forever. Your sin will find you out. So, that's it. was I'm not even going to do that in my time. And he went out to the second day. Behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? He goes, and now he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he walks up to them the next day. Now he really feels like he's kind of an expert. And he walks up to them and he says, Why are you hitting this guy? Verse 14. And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou hast killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared. Surely this thing He comes up to these two Hebrews. <coughs> Moses, if, you've, uh, if you're familiar with the life of Moses, you probably know Moses is going to be the leader of the Israelites. He's going to sort out things between his people. He's going to give them God's law. He's going to deliver them from the hand of Egypt. I trust that many of you have seen the movie and some of you have even read the book. Okay? He comes and he is. Res- he's going to rescue his people. But now they look at him and they say, Who are you to tell us what to do? Are you going to kill us the same way that you killed that Egyptian? That sin has come out. What he did has been exposed. And because of it, his ability to do what God intended for him to do is stopped. Moses. Chosen by God to lead the Israelites, but they will not listen to him because he tried to get ahead of God. You know this Egyptian guard. Do you know that Moses was going to kill him? You say, "What do you mean?" Well, I'll tell you. Pharaoh's whole army was going to drown in the Red Sea. The Israelites were going to cross on dry land, and the Israelite, the Egyptian oppressors, were going to be crushed in a moment by the crashing waters of the Red Sea. God was going to have his justice on the wicked, right? But Moses decided, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it in my time, God. You better catch up with me. And he blew it. Have you ever done something that was the right thing at the wrong time? You ever tried to do the right thing, but you got out ahead of God? Moses is now going to, for about 40 years, wait before he's ready to do what God called him to do because of this, because he didn't understand timing. We get in such a hurry, right? We think, oh, I've got to have it now, I've got to have it now, i got to have it now. You ever look at something and just really fret? Maybe not. Maybe not. You know, you were looking and say, you know, how's this going to work out? How are we going to get this done in time? Yesterday, I'm very grateful we had several people uh, go with us to the Vacation Bible School seminar, uh, you know, how to how to put on a good Vacation Bible School ideas about teaching different age groups and teaching different lessons. Um, and uh, Colleen did a great job she taught on how to teach kindergartners um, and the lessons the kindergartners did. And uh, I uh, was given the opportunity to... Principles of teaching, you know, kind of general principles about how do you teach the Bible effectively. And, uh, I can, can tell they didn't call any of you, so they let me do it. So they came in. They came in. I was talking to them about the the ways that we get distracted from the things that matter by the things that don't, and we get so caught up. And this week, this year, it's kind of interesting. One of the lessons uh, is on joy, one of the lessons is on peace, you know, different, different things like that, different fruits of the Spirit, demonstrated in Jesus' life in the Vacation of Bible School Church. And I said, can you imagine going into a room full of kids and teaching them about peace on Monday night, when before class started, those same kids saw you running around like a chicken with your head cut off. This isn't going to work! This isn't going to work! My decorations aren't done! The PowerPoint's not working! We just need to call vacation Bible school off! And then you go to those kids and you say, you know, you need to have peace because God is in control. Kids are a lot smarter than that, aren't they? So, you know, you go to your kid, your child, and you tell them, you know, don't worry. You know, I know that you're really upset about this, but God's going to take care of your kid will not articulate these words, but they say, but wait a minute, Dad. Wait a minute, Mom. I saw you earlier exploding because this thing wasn't going to work out that you were worried about. How can you tell me not to worry and to trust God when I've never seen you not worry and trust God? That's too convicting. Let's move on. So... (coughs) We've got to do the right thing in the right way at the right time to have John's blessing. If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to know this. There is no right way to do the wrong thing. But there are lots of wrong ways to do the right thing. Moses here. Was really serious. His heart was in the right place. You know, his people are enslaved. He wants to set them free. That is not something he made up, that's something God put on his heart to prepare him for the day when he would lead the people out of Egypt. But it's something where he got ahead of himself. He got ahead of God. So they come and they look at him and they say, you know, you who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Friends doesn't mean that. Prince, in the way that we uh, take the word prince as a leader. Who made you a leader? Who made you a judge over us? Who made you the boss of me? I don't have to take you seriously unless you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian. How can you tell me to control my temper? I know you killed an Egyptian yesterday. How can you tell me, mom and dad, not to throw a hissy fit? I heard you throw a hissy fit last night. How can you tell me not to worry? I heard you worrying. I heard you complaining. How can you tell me not to complain and to eat what you put on my plate when I heard you complaining about this or that? You know, it is an incredible truth that if we could get control of the sin in our life, there's no telling what God but your sin hamstrings you, doesn't it? How can you do what God has for you when you're caught up in all kinds of other things? You know, of course, the classic example of this is King David, supposed to be the leader of God's people, but instead he's an adulterer and murderer. And so, then in Psalm 51, I'm going to read to you uh, from there very quickly. He says in verse 10, uh, Psalm 51, Created me a clean heart, O God, David says this, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David says, God, I know that I messed up. That's an understatement, right? He took another man's wife, got her, pregnant, and then killed the husband to cover it up. Okay, this is King David. Come a long way from killing Goliath. lie I know that my sin's been exposed. I know that I can't serve you as long as I'm caught up in this sin. He says, but give me a clean heart, then I'll show transgressors. See, God has got a marvelous, incredible plan to use you to change the world. But we don't. C.S. Lewis said that we play with mud pies. He said that uh, God has a mansion for us. God's got all these marvelous things for us. And we're playing with the mud. Uh, a fleshly pleasure. And I don't remember the exact quote. I should have printed it out so I could read it. He says, you know, we toy with sex and money and popularity and fame when God offers us infinite riches. Why do we trade all the things that matter for the things that don't? Why do we get so caught up in the now that we miss what really matters? We do this in all kinds of petty ways. Have you ever been on a diet? Never. We are you're very prone to a convenience culture, you say, well, you know, I'm going to eat really well. I'm going to eat really healthy. And so you uh, are driving home from somewhere, and you say, well, I'm kind of hungry. You know, I don't want to wait until I get home. But I'll just pull through somewhere. And you see this big golden M, right? You say, well, you know, I'm going to get something healthy about it for a minute, right? You say, well, you know, I'm not going to get the double cheeseburger. That wouldn't be very healthy. So you pull in and you say, um, medium chicken nuggets, please, barbecue sauce, and diet Coke. You get that diet. And your your diet is sabotage, right? Because you didn't want to wait. And I can see now that I'm the only one that has ever made an impulsive stop. <laughs> Never done that. I take it back. I repent. You know, you, you drive through somewhere, and you know, maybe it's not maybe it's not a diet for you. Maybe it's a budget, right? You say, you know, I've got food to eat at home, but if I, I'm so hungry, now, I'm I, if I pass out from hunger, I'm going to have a car crash. This is terrible. I need to eat something right now. And here. The M didn't motivate you. The M wouldn't really motivate me either. But you see this big orange W in the sky. You see, it's a sign of God. Uh, A1 thick and hearty burger, please. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy ketchup. Because I don't I do this for you. But you, as a human being, and me, as a human being, are so instant, instant, instant. Have you ever complained about your instant rice taking five minutes? We get so impatient, don't we? So impatient all the time. You go to a fast food restaurant. You're like, man, I've been waiting here. Where is my hamburger? Where's my honey barbecue chicken strip sandwich? <laughs> let me just get worked up. Get worked up. And so impatient. <coughs> we want what we want, and we want it now, even if we could have something better later. The reason I originally mentioned McDonald's and not Whataburger is because I was going to make that better later point. Um, you know, you can have something better if you would just wait. But we don't wait. We don't wait. And so we do the same thing in our life with God. You know, you say, God, I really, I want to do this. I'm going to do it now. And we make plans and then ask God to bless what we've decided to do and wonder what's gone wrong here has got something good on his heart and he says since it's good it must be okay for me to do right now. It must be good for me right now. And because of that he sabotages this whole system he sabotages himself. Who suffers more than anybody else? Moses who now has to spend 40 years tending to his father-in-law's sheep God told Abraham your people, your descendants will be slaves in a land which is not theirs for 400 years they were slaves for 430 years because Moses took a 40-year detour in the wilderness. <clears throat> Still, about 400 years. So God's promise was not broken, but 390 years would have been within God's promise too. So Moses comes in, and because of his sin, the people do not recognize him as their deliverer. He knows it's known. Verse 15. Now, when Moses heard the thing, now when Pharaoh heard the thing, he sought to slay Moses. This is not a, you know, you say, why is the prince in trouble for killing somebody? Well, of course, he now is seen as a traitor. It's now obvious that he's trying to bring up a rebellion of the Hebrews against the Israelites, where he's the leader. He, this one who was raised in the palace, has now sided with the slaves. So Pharaoh said, I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to stop this. Pharaoh, who maybe was his brother, his stepbrother. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. He runs away to the Midianites, who were kind of the cousins of the Israelites who a generations back, one like of Abraham's other sons other than Isaac, <coughs> from Midian. So he goes to the land of Midianites and he sits down by a well. A well was where they had to socialize. A well is like a, a coffee shop, okay, where you go to see people. Because everybody's got to come to the well of So he goes... And he parks himself at the well, verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. So there's a priest of Midian, this uh, pagan idol worshiper, who's got seven daughters, and his seven daughters come, and they come to water the flock. They come to water their father's sheep. And he said in the, in, in, uh, I'm sorry, verse 17, and the shepherds came and drove them away. There's this group of men, you know, traveling nomadic shepherds, Bedouins, that come in and drive away the women to try to take the well and try to use the well for themselves. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Moses drove away their oppressors and took care of the flock. Moses, who should have been the shepherd of Israel, driving away the oppressors and watering the flock. Moses, the lawgiver, the one who prefigures, the Bible says there was a prophet like Moses who would be raised up. That's Jesus. Jesus who comes in, drives away our enemies, drives away our sin, our shame, our death, and waters the flock, takes care of us like his sheep. Moses does this for these pagan daughters, but cannot do it for his own people. He comes, he drives them away. He waters their flock. And it's all about timing. Moses is there at the right time to rescue these women. He was where he needed to be when he needed to be there. But we get worked up in such a tizzy. you Can you you imagine that God's in heaven right now biting his nails? Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Of course not knows exactly what's going to happen. God is not up there thinking, oh boy, I didn't realize this was going to happen. We were. (laughs) In different times, I didn't realize this was going to happen. I didn't know. But God knew. So do you trust God's timing? Moses went out, he heard the cries of his people, and he said, oh man, God, you must not know anything about this. I better take care of this myself. Say, God, you don't know the situation that I'm in. I just had to do something. We talked last week about faith, right? You're given an impossible situation. What do you do? The question is, what would I do if I had more faith? What would I do if I believed God? Do you believe that when you hear these cries, do you believe that when you see this need, that God sees that need too? Or do you think you've got to do something about it yourself? We've got such a Superman complex all the time, don't we? God has got a plan for solving this situation, and you may be a part of that plan, but you better make sure that you're in God's plan for it, and you're not trying to make up your own plan. How often do we, in our lives, figure out what we want to do, talk to our friends, talk to our family, talk to our spouse, work out the numbers, say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. God, please bless this. What if, for once in your life, you put God at the front end of your decision-making instead of the back end? What if the attitude that we have constantly, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission, we did not apply to the Creator, all-wise, good God of the universe? What if we said, it's better to ask for forgiveness, it's better to ask for permission from God, and He will lead you where you want to go? But again, how many times in your life Have you made a plan and then asked God to bless it? And then wondered why God wasn't Johnny on the spot? When what if you had gone to God first? Now, sometimes God will. Isn't that the amazing thing about God? You will do something. You'll get out where you don't belong and you'll pray and God will say, okay, you know what? I'm going to work with you. I love you. Sometimes uh, people will get married uh, before I do wedding. I started calling myself paladin, um, have Bible travel, and I don't know, so, <laughs> joke about 40 years too late, <laughs> so 50 years too late, have Bible travel, that'll get a $1,000 or whatever either. but, you know, and I won't do that, I won't do um, marriage counseling, I won't do a wedding without doing marriage counseling, and sometimes people. And it'll be, I've decided I'm going to marry this person, this person's my person, and I just want you to make God, you know, stand this. What if we flip that around? What if you found the right person, you did the right things, you were faithful to God's plan, and then you let God bless his own plan? Don't you think God would be more eager to bless his own plan than the one that you made up on Tuesday night? (coughs) You say, well, you know, I'm going to do things my way. I have a, an acquaintance who I, was, uh, I discovered is getting their marriage annulled. This is a very interesting story. You didn't know they still did annulments, did you? Um, she got married to somebody that she had known for one day. She put an ad on the internet. She was looking for a husband and warned somebody who was looking for a wife. She needed a husband to take care of her. Okay, you know I, I, I'm okay with somebody saying up front that they, you know, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for something. You know, they're looking for marriage. They're not looking for you know, whatever. You know, that's fine. She met him, and the next day married him. Yippee! <laughs> then she was on CNN. You may have seen her because a few weeks later they were in a car chase where he was trying to kill himself and her. The CNN story was really about the dispatchers who saved her life. Now she's getting her marriage announced. Now, I cannot think of a more dramatic example of coming up with your own plans and asking God to bless them. He said, what do you mean asking God to bless them? The day after she got married, she called me and said, hey, Justin, I need your help. I've just married this guy and he's not a Christian. How do you explain to somebody how to become a Christian? Normally before you marry them. (laughs) That's my strategy. (laughs) But she had fixed in her mind what she wanted. And she was willing to ignore any kind of warning signs. I think that, you know, the annulment is on the grounds of uh, he hid his mental illness. And I'm going to say that if he married you the day after he met you, he did not hide his mental illness. It was right out <laughs> 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 She ignored everything except what fit into the plan she already wanted. And you say, well, I've never done that. I've never married somebody the day after I met him. You did. I don't. you put God on the front end, and you said, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. There are some of you right now that God has got something on your heart that you know you need to start doing consistently, you know it needs to be a part of your life, and you're afraid or whatever, and so you won't, you know, you push it back. But if something were your idea, you would jump into it head first and then expect God to come get on board. What if we flip that? What if you said, you know what, God, you're right, you know what's best, you tell me what you want to do, I'll get on board, and I'll leave the consequences Instead of making you responsible for things that you had nothing to do with. Right. He goes, and Moses is here. He begins his training. God sends him to go rescue these Midianite daughters. Because for 40 years now, he is going to be taught how to leave people. He tried to do it before he was ready. And so now he has to go through the long school of hard knocks. God is not afraid to send you tuition freedom of Hard Knocks. Some of you sometimes have to take the same course in the School of Hard Knocks over and over again. I don't understand that. I'm a classroom learner. I don't have to go do the experiment like (laughs) I'm But some of you are laboratory learners, right? Meaning that it's not enough for somebody to tell you this is going to go badly. You've got to experience it for yourself. And then retake the class, retake the class, retake the class. (laughs) Moses is now in a 40-year wilderness university. He spent 40 years in the school of Egypt, and now he's transferring. None of his credits transferred over. So he's now beginning to learn what it means to shepherd people. Verse uh, 18, when they came to Raul, their father, he's better known as Jethro. Uh, Raul's kind of an alternative name. They do that a lot, like Simon Peter. When Raul... He came to Reol, their father. He said, how is it that you are come so soon today? He said, how did you get home so quick? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and water the flock. It's kind of interesting. They say it was an Egyptian. Moses is still dressed like an Egyptian. He's still kind of in the garb of Egypt. And again, I kind of want to make this uh, somewhat clear. His lifestyle was still tainted with the ways in Egypt, right? As an Egyptian prince, what Moses wanted, Moses got. So he thinks it's going to be the same way with God. As American citizens, what we want, we get. Say, I want to move. Okay, you move. You've got the right to move. Say, I want to say this. Well, say what you want. You've got freedom of speech. I want this person in office. We'll go vote for it. We're going to do this, do that. We've got freedom, right? Say, I want to eat, and I want to eat in five minutes. I want a beef stew that's been simmered all day, but I need to eat in half an hour. <coughs> Don't worry, we've got an instant pot. You know, you've got your fresh cooker. Put it on. We get what we want when we want it, how we want it. You go to Whataburger, you know, you can't help yourself, right? You go to Whataburger again. And when I go to Whataburger, I'll tell you what I really order. An A1 Thick and Hearty with the lettuce, tomato, and pickles added. I want it like a hamburger, but it's cheaper to order as an A1 Thick and Hearty than it is to order a double and add a bacon. I like that hamburger. So and I, wanted, I, wanted the, I wanted the stuff on the hamburger. And if they brought it to me and it didn't have exactly what I wanted, I'd be upset. Now why is that? Huh. Where did that come from? Where did my like entitlement to have free lettuce, tomato, and pickle added to my hamburger come from? God like a short order fry cook. Some of you, if you had talked to your mom the way you talk to God, you would have gone to bed hungry. No, I didn't. God's not your short order cook, right? Maybe some of you had your parents tell you that I'm not a short order cook. This is what's for dinner. But you go to God and say, God, okay, yeah, I'd like this, but I'd like um, hold the difficulty. Uh, double. Go ahead and give me a double portion of money. Um, you talk to God like you're like you're ordering at a restaurant, and if it doesn't come out exactly the way you ordered, you get upset. And God says, "Okay, well, it's time to go to school." Let me tell you, the Bible says that tribulation worketh patience. That going through difficult times builds up your patience. The Bible also says that uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There's two ways for you to develop patience. One way is to read the Bible, believe the Bible, and trust God. The other way is to go through difficulties in your life. You can enroll in either course. You will get credit for either one. But if you will not enroll in learning God's way from God, then you will learn God's way from difficulty. Do we insist on getting out ahead of God? Why? (coughs) Verse 20, excuse me. And he said to his daughters, where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Why'd you leave this man behind? Go get him. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Moses goes, he marries this Midianite girl, he has a son, he names his son Gershom, means stranger, basically. He says, Because I'm a stranger, he's a stranger. He says, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm a foreigner. This is not my home that is one thing we can say to Moses' credit is he never lost sight of the fact that he was not where he belonged. Let's think about that for one second. Look, Mom, we'll walk. The problem we've got a lot of times is that as Christians, we lose sight of what really matters because we forget where our own you've heard this before. Imagine if you are in a hotel room. And you open up your suitcase and in your suitcase you've got rollers and paint and crown molding and everything else. And you start redecorating the hotel room because you don't like the color on the walls. What a tremendous waste of money. Do you know how expensive paint is? (laughs) We sure do, don't we? You go and you redecorate your hotel room. Why is it dumb to redecorate your hotel room? That's not your house. Right? You don't live there. That's not where you belong. You're not going to be there very long. You can put up with the ugly paintings and the off-green paint on the walls for one night. You go down to the continental breakfast. You know, You say, well, I really, I prefer Honey Bunches boats. Um, I'm going to go down and You're here for one night. Why would you spend a bunch of your money and a bunch of your time and a bunch of your effort on something you can't keep? Somebody else is going to be in that hotel room. And if you want to put crown molding up in your uh, Motel 6 room, I'm sure the next person there will enjoy it, but you sure won't. You're never going to get enough out of that for it to be worth it, right? You can spend your whole life building up things in this life. And you know what happens? You're going to move out. It's not your home. Somebody else may enjoy it. You may accrue up vast amounts of money, and your kids may really appreciate that. But ultimately, you don't get to keep it. It's not your home. You are a stranger in a strange land. I can't help but read now out of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Said all these people, all these people that died, they died in faith. They never saw God. They never saw the things that were promised. They never met Jesus, but they believed it, and they said, "We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here." Verse fourteen. For they that say such things. Declare plainly if they seek country. You say, this is not where I belong. You're saying, there is somewhere that I belong. I'm looking for the place that I belong. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from once they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So if they wanted, you know, if they were longing for was some place on earth, they could have had the chance to go there. Verse 16 is so important to you and me. But now, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They looked for a better country. They looked for a city that has foundations. The building and maker is God. They looked for a place that was really theirs, and God was not ashamed of that because God had a place for them. God was not ashamed for Moses to say, I'm a stranger in a strange land because God had a place for Moses to go back to. God is not ashamed for I'm not attached to all these things around me. I'm not attached to all the stuff that I have. I'm not attached to all the places I go. Because this is a hotel room. work on Jesus for 60 hours a week. And it's you, true, you've got to work. Because you know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. But the book of the law never depart from your mouth. If you are a person who's studying your Bible and reading and praying, you know, you can serve God all day long, no matter what you're doing. You know, the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And, you know, there's a reason that we come together corporately. We don't say, you know, I worship God all week. I don't even come to church, right? If you're going to do God's work, you're going to do it God's way don't get to get out ahead of God and say, here's my plan, God, you bless it. But at the same time, that needs to radiate off of you all week. Constantly need to be saying, Lord, I'm serving you all the time. My heart is not in these things that I'm doing. My heart is with you. My hand is devoted. I'm doing the best I can on these things that I'm doing. But I keep it in perspective that this is not what matters. God, I trust you in your time. Last couple verses. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of their bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Moses heard the cry of his people. He said, I've got to rescue them. I've got to rescue them now. God's letter. The problem in your life, you think you've just got to do something right now. You've just got to do something right now. You have got to do something right now you can not bring it to God. You've got to take care of it yourself. God hears that. So my question in your life, are you willing to do God's thing in God's way? Are you willing to say, I'm going to put the brakes on some things in my life that God has not called me to yet? Even if it's a good thing. All good things are not good for you right now. Or are you going to say, I'm willing to put the gas"? this, because I know that God is in this. I know this is what God prepared me for. I know this is this, for this moment. Are you willing to have that kind of grace, that kind of sense to know that there's only one way to do it? That's to trust God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please Him. The only way that I can know that what I'm doing is in the right time and in the right way is if I believe that God sees it all, that God's got a plan for it. Can you imagine Moses waiting, wandering in the promised land, saying, Where is the Messiah that's been promised? Where is the real king? Where is God himself come down to lead these people? This situation sure is desperate. Where is, imagine David saying, You know, I can't lead this people. I'm not qualified to lead this people. I've fallen into sin over and over again. Where is the one who's coming to take over? Imagine Hezekiah as the country is falling to pieces around him in sin as the king of Israel, saying, where is Jesus? And even as Jesus was born, you imagine Jews looking all over, saying, where is our military conqueror? Where is our deliverer? But God is And God's plan, Right now, if you're not a Christian, let's say you say, well, you know, I've been following God. I've been doing my best. I've been baptized. I don't care if you've been baptized. You've got to do God's things in God's order. God's order is to repent and believe, to turn from your sin and trust in God, then to be baptized, then to serve him. That's God's order. Are you willing to do God's thing in God's time? Right now, if you've never made a decision where you said, you know, Lord, I am a sinner. I am a rebel. I have been working against you. I have been doing things my own way. I've been trying to be God and then try to get you to come and clean up my mess. But I believe that Jesus came. I believe that your perfect plan was accomplished. I believe Jesus died the death that I should have died. Will you forgive me and save me? If you'll come to do that now, God will change your heart. You can do that in your heart right where you stand. You can cry out to God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord chosen. And come. Make it public. I want everybody to know. I want to be baptized. I want to call. I want to do your thing. If you are Christian, if we as a church are willing to do God's thing in God's timing in God's way, there is no limit to God's blessing. Amen. Let's stand as our musicians come forward. We're going to sing a hymn invitation and give you do a chance to respond. You need to make a decision. Okay? You, need to say, say, you need to put the brakes on it, but that's not all you need to do. You need to do the right thing when it is the right time. So wait, seek God's face, seek God's will, and then do it as I say.